welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge. I'm your host, Edward Russell, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jay Shabat, to discuss rising fuel costs in the U.S. outlook for the fall and the competitive environment in Scandinavia. Enjoy. Hey, Jay, how you doing? Well, I'm good, Ned. Did you enjoy your summer? I did. I did. We were back after a few weeks off and you know, hopefully rested. It's it's back to school here in the U.S. and both of our kids are back in classes. So yeah, what's uh, it's it's the fall is here. Yeah, first day of school today. We're talking on Thursday, September seventh. So it's uh, yeah, we're a little bit late in the in the Northeast, but uh, we uh, yeah, the kids are back and uh, we uh, yeah, vacations are over for most people and uh, airlines are starting to uh attend investor conferences again. So we know we know the fall is here. That's right. That's right. September always kicks off with with a few investor conferences. And this week, uh, TD Cowan held their uh, their conference. And we had a couple of airlines talk there, United, uh, Alaska, and a few others. Uh, Jay, what were the highlights coming out of that? Yeah, well, at this point, I, I listened to United's call. And let me, um, before even uh, discussing the presentations, uh alaska southwest and united the three of them uh issued investor updates uh through the securities and exchange commission and uh here's basic i'm going to tell you basically what they said uh the, the the common theme here is that fuel prices are up and to a degree that's somewhat uncomfortable and so each of these airlines kind of revised their, you know, their cost guidance to say, hey, look, uh, you know, fuel is not quite as uh, inexpensive as we thought it might be. So, you know, be careful, watch out for our third quarter unit cost. So there's that. Now, Southwest did mention that, uh, and I'm looking for the exact quote here, uh, August 2023 close-in leisure bookings we're on the lower end of the company's expectations, modestly okay. impacted by seasonal trends. You know, now they they also said overall leisure demand and yields continue to remain healthy, and that travel demand during Labor Day weekend was strong. Blah blah blah. So record revenue performance for the holiday weekend. So um, I don't think there's anything to be too alarmed about here. Uh, it's uh, and then in United's presentation, nothing. You know, nothing really alarming there. So uh, see, everything seems to be pretty good on the demand front. Yeah. So the only thing of concern at this point is that increase in fuel prices. I think that I think that's where where the concern lies so far. Right. And I was looking at those same updates as you, and there's something you know as they've been raising uh, fuel guidance, and you know it's up uh, definitely a few percentage points, thirteen percent on average. Alaska, you know that's brought in some of the margin guidance. Uh, Alaska also cut its margin outlook, but they're still within the range they gave for the third quarter. You know it's just brought them down from maybe the high end of their margin guidance to the midpoint. So airlines are still doing quite well. It's just maybe not as well as they they thought in July. Yeah, and for the just to put some numbers on, so Alaska, I believe, was the only one that actually revised uh, their margin estimate. So there, and this is pre, they they're giving a pre-tax adjusted pre-tax margin. They previously said fourteen percent to sixteen percent. They're now saying ten to twelve. So that's uh, you know a rather significant drop, and most of that is uh, linked to the 
to higher fuel prices. I mean, that's uh, that that's pretty clear. They actually um, the revenue guidance uh, was actually pretty good. They they originally said it was going to be up zero to three percent. Now they say up one to two percent, which is you know essentially the same thing. You just kind of narrowed it a little bit. Nothing you know nothing uh, negative there. I guess the only other thing that I would say that's somewhat of a common theme across the three airlines that gave their updates. Uh, weather in July, uh, you know, we heard all the headlines about the hurricanes and what happened in Hawaii and all of that. That was somewhat cost disruptive as well. So if you want to, you know, kind of put that in its own category alongside fuel, that was somewhat of a, you know, headwind too. But they, but they also, sure. uh, most... and, and we, we, before we, we go on, I just want to point out United and Alaska are two of the largest airlines to Maui, which was affected by, by the fires. You know, right. So it, it's um, yeah. After Hawaiian, I think they're they're two and three. So it's uh, yeah, definitely there's an impact there. And of course, the storm in California and all kinds of things. So there, there's a, a some weather impact in there. Right. Right. And and they did say. I mean, United in particular, CFO uh, who spoke at the Cowan event uh, with Helene Becker uh, did specifically mention that uh, yes, July there were disruptions, but then. Uh, I have the quote in front of me here. In fact, August for us operationally was probably the best August since the merger. And he's referring back to 2010 when United merged with Continental. So uh, so I think operations, aside from those weather disruptions, uh, pretty things are going pretty well. Um, and I've generally heard that from other airlines as well. It uh, hasn't hasn't been too, you know, non-weather, weather, you know, it's it's a big factor, so you can't really put it aside. But, but um, right. for the record, it's, uh, you know, I think things are operationally pretty sound, X weather. Right. Did they talk all about corporate travel? Is there any movement there on um, on that coming back? You know, we, we talked about that in, in July. It sort of plateaued here in the U.S. And there was hope we might see something new come the fall. But any any chat about that? No, from my recollections, that did not come up in the discussion. Ah, uh, well... That is something we'll have to wait and see. You know, one another thing that jumped out at me, especially in United's call, is uh, not sure our listeners are following it, but United recently purchased a large tract of land near the Denver International Airport. Um, sort of a, a, it's an empty plot. I've driven by it on Pena, the the road that goes into the airport, and uh, they they were asked if they're looking to move their headquarters from Chicago to to Denver, which would be a huge shift. It's uh, Chicago's been the home of United for not sure forever, but for for decades. Uh, so, you know, but they, they said that uh, their their CFO, Jerry Laterman, you know, said that they, they you know, have no imminent plans to move the headquarters. And he cited the, the training center. Of course, the training center is over by the old airport, Stapleton, but Colorado kids. So I remember Stapleton fondly, even if it was um, operationally a mess. Uh, but uh, yeah, it'll be to see what happens there. But no imminent plans for United to relocate their headquarters. Right. That topic was addressed in, in, the, in the presentation. I thought that was interesting. So it uh, looks like uh, there are no plans to move from Chicago, at least not for now, or at least nothing disclosed. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's um, that that's I found that interesting. Um, Denver, by the way, is is uh, you know just uh, becoming this like superstar airport uh, and superstar market. I mean, it's almost taking on the aura of an Atlanta or a Dallas. You know, just this huge mid-continent hub that uh, you know in the past was never really that large of a market and. You know, it was always a good hub, but it was always one that, you know, United 
there was a time United, I think, struggled there because there was so much low cost competition. Southwest is there, Frontier is there. It was also, you know, it's not, it, it's not, uh, you know, the population size, it's not a huge, huge market, but it's growing really fast. Um, and it's even, you know, it was also a place where you couldn't really support too much international traffic. Even that's starting to change. I mean, I was just in Denver last month and uh, I, you look at the, you know, the, the airport schedule board and you see flights to Iceland and Panama and, you know, plenty to Europe and Tokyo. It's, uh, it's becoming more international. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting to me is, as I look at the growth of Denver and, and we wrote about this, or I wrote about this in August, sort of Denver and DFW are, are closely vying for the second busiest airport in the U.S. Uh, title for the year, though it looks like DFW will win. Um, but Denver, if you look at the traffic growth there, it's really been on connecting traffic. The numbers for people going through security at the airport are rather are about flat to maybe up a, a point or two from 2019. But it's the connecting traffic that United is funneling through there. Southwest is funneling through there. And, and I know people are going to tell me Southwest doesn't do connections, but oh, they do. Oh, they do. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, they do. <laughs> and that is really driving the massive growth in Denver. You know, the airport just added uh, 35-ish new gates and all their concourses. Uh, it's, yeah, it's really a sight to see. It really makes me remember the days when people were calling it a white elephant too far from the city and stuff when it opened back in 1995. But uh, it's it's really coming to its own. It is pretty darn far from the city, though, as I learned last month when I went out there. But uh, but yeah, great airport. And, uh, you know, kind of has that one of the things, you know, Atlanta, well, but there's so many reasons why Atlanta's the busiest airport in the world. But, you know, one of them is that you have all these smallish, medium-sized cities throughout the Southeast that can't really support a lot of their own nonstop traffic. So it all has to get funneled in through somewhere. And so much of it goes through Atlanta and then, you know, kind of the competing sort of, I like to call Charlotte, the the, the baby Atlanta, the mini Atlanta. Uh, so you really have those two. Well, it's kind of in the West, you have a very similar dynamic with, you know, Denver, you have all these, you know, smallish places in the mountain West that are poorly connected by roads. Uh, and so you have to fly to get anywhere. And mm -hmm. just so much of that gets funneled through da Denver and then sort of the, you know, Charlotte analogy, so continuing my, my, my poor Charlotte analogy here, Salt Lake City would be really the, you know, the baby Denver. Um, I was going to really, say exactly yeah. that. Like if Charlotte is the the baby Atlanta, Salt Lake City is the baby Denver. Um, it's and baby let's not Denver. discount Salt Lake City. They have a gorgeous new terminal there. The airport is, is you know, growing, but it's just not, it's not Denver. That's for sure. I wonder if the this, this Salt Lake City, like uh, tourism folks are going to steal that from us, like as a, as a, you know, as a marketing thing, like we are baby Denver, come visit us. Or, <laughs> well, here's a throwback, so. Jay. I don't know if you if you know this or remember this, but Western Airlines in the in the 1980s, and of course they merged with Delta in 87, so it's years ago. They used to market their Salt Lake City hub as the fastest in the West because Old Stapleton Airport was prone for delays. It was in the city, couldn't expand. Uh, weather would hit, and um, so yeah, Salt Lake City used to used to use their uh, <laughs> their competitive advantage was we're smaller, and you can connect here a lot faster than other places. So there you go. You know, maybe Baby that'll Salt maybe that'll come back. Baby Denver, yeah. And and who was Western CEO back in the uh, you know back at that time was uh, Jerry Grinstein, who went on to run Delta Airlines and during their bankruptcy restructuring. So it all comes around. It certainly does. It certainly does. Well, Jay, let's take a quick break and we're going to hop across the Atlantic and, and talk a bit about what's happening in Scandinavia.
And we're back. So like I was saying, Jay, we're going to, to take a transatlantic flight and land in Scandinavia, where SAS and Norwegian Air have both reported the results uh, in the last few weeks. Uh, Jay, can you give us the highlights? Yes, I have some numbers for you. So let's do SAS first. Um, they actually, for the first time in a very long time, had what you might describe as a, a very good quarter, or at least a solid quarter. They earned a 12% operating margin from, and I want to be careful with the, uh, you know, pay, listen listen carefully to the months here. This was from May to July. So they operated on a, on a very strange fiscal calendar, but May, June, July, those three months. Now those, keep in mind, those are, you know, three of the very strongest months of the year. So, right. you know, if you want to argue 12% is not really that impressive. I mean, IAG did 16% from April to June, which are, you know, uh, a, a little bit of a weaker subset of months. Um, you know, Ryanair, would they do uh, 19%? So, you know, 12% is not lighting the world on fire. But look, I mean, they're, you know, they've had, this is a, an airline that's in bankruptcy. It's had an awful lot of trouble. So I think they're happy with 12%. Now let's move yep. over to Norwegian. Uh, Norwegian, they, for the the traditional April to June, so April, May, and June, uh, 10%. So also pretty good quarter. And the name of the sort of the name of the game when you're operating in the Nordic region, and this is true for a lot of cold weather, you know, airlines operating cold weather places. The name of the game is you gotta kind of run up the score in the spring and summer because you know you're going to lose money in the winter, or you know, at best you may make a little money. But uh, you know, is this going to be enough? Is you know these twelve percent, nine, ten percent margins is Maybe, maybe not. I mean, a lot of the penalty on the third quarter, which is traditionally the best quarter of all for these guys. Um, so, you know, it's I think they're sitting in a position right now where there's a fighting chance that they could have a pretty good year in 2023. We'll see, you know, we'll see just how bad the winter is. Right. And, you know, they both did very well. I mean, <laughs> they both reported strong profits. SAS, you know, one thing that jumped out is, of course, they said this is their first quarterly profit since 2019, uh, the pandemic, and then they've been in their bankruptcy restructuring. But it's uh, it's it's interesting, like you said. So they're running up their profits and at Norwegian, uh, their CEO, Geir Carlson, said they, they plan to do the same thing they did last year, which is pull down capacity significantly this winter. Um, I didn't see much or hear much in the call about uh, fly um, power by the hour agreements, which they had in place for last winter, but I'm assuming it's going to be something similar to that. But um, yeah, the, co the competitive market in, in the Scandinavia is fascinating. You've got Norwegian Air growing, their loyalty program is now larger than SAS's uh, based on recent data. You know, they're trying to acquire Widero, a Norwegian regional airline. And, you know, they say they're taking corporate share in Norway. But when SAS was asked about that, their CEO, Enko Vanderwerf, said, you know, they're basically unconcerned. And he, he cited the fact that Norway remains their largest market and that they, you know, have about half the slots. I'm guessing in Oslo, he didn't really explain, but it's interesting. It's uh, You've got one person saying they're growing, another telling investors that they're just fine. Of course, you wouldn't expect him to tell them that, you know, things are terrible and oh my gosh, run for the hills. But it's uh, there's sort of two stories there and I'm still very curious how this all falls out. Yeah, and there's still some questions too that Widero transaction will be approved by antitrust uh, regulators. Um, we'll, I'm sure we'll find that out before long. Uh, mm -hmm. But um, but yeah, I think, uh, you know, the Norwegian restructuring, 
they uh, they did a very thorough restructuring in bankruptcy and got rid of all. I mean, this was one of the most you know recklessly ambitious airlines in the world for for the better part of a decade. Uh, and when they declared bankruptcy during the pandemic, they did a really good job of uh, I think of, of, of restructuring their costs. And I mean, you mentioned the power by hour agreements is one one example uh, of of what they did. They've just got better lease rates, better you know better deal with Boeing. Uh, and they also, as you mentioned, they're going to pull down capacity for the winter. Um, they're going to do even more of that this year than last year. And there's there's a risk to that because when you, you know, when you're not utilizing your planes, when you're letting them sit on the ground, that's not very good for your unit cost, for your productivity. But their argument is that, hey, look, I mean, we better better off doing that than flying empty planes around in the winter and you know nobody wants to go to Oslo and it's negative 10 degrees or whatever. So so better better do that, you know, or burn fuel up in the sky with nobody on board. So uh they they seem to be well positioned. Now SAS is still going through their bankruptcy and it's a little bit harder to renegotiate uh things like aircraft leases right now because you know the aircraft market's so strong. So lessors are not as willing to do deals. Um, they seem to be progressing though. They seem to be getting, you know, coming along with that. And I believe they said that they correct me if I'm wrong, that I, I maybe memory mis serves me here, but I believe they, they, they aim to be out of bankruptcy by the end of this year. By the end of this year. That. That's right. But, but yeah, they okay. said, I mean, for the record, they're behind on their timelines when they filed in July, 2022, they said mm -hmm. nine to 12 months. July has come, you know, <laughs> come and gone, and they're now saying by the end of the year, at anyone's guesses if they if they hit it or not. You know, I've followed enough bankruptcies to know that these things can drag on. Um, yeah, and and part of Vanderwerf's you know outlook and his confidence in SAS's ability is completing bankruptcy, and you know that's that's at least six months. Well, it's not six months off, but. The benefits of bankruptcy are about six months off at this point, and it just makes you wonder. I mean, that's more time for Norwegian to, to build up share in Norway. Uh, Ryanair has announced a new base in Copenhagen, which is Yikes. Uh, Yikes. SAS's <laughs> largest hub by flights, second by seats, second largest by seats, just depends on how you cut it. Um, you know, Ryanair is coming in there. You know, <laughs> Vanderwerf said that they're seeing some cuts in some secondary markets as Ryanair grows, but I pulled the DO data. And I'm not seeing any cuts at the end of the year. I mean, they're they're growing across the board, uh, really. So it's yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. interesting. The longer SAS struggles, the more time these competitors have have the opportunity to you know really dig their heels in in some of these markets. Yeah, I'll, t I'll tell you one thing that concerns me about SAS is I have a feeling as I look at these you know these numbers that I just just said a 12 percent operating margin from May to July. I be, you have to believe a lot of that was uh, emanated from very strong long haul, uh, you know, just long haul demand and, and just the, the situation on transatlantic routes right now. I assume even some stuff going eastbound, uh, you know, even some of the stuff affected by Russian overflights, uh, you know, even that stuff I think is doing very well. I mean, there's some car cargo on that and whatever, but. Um, and the yields are just very high. I mean, so much capacity is being eliminated between Europe and and places like China, for example. So I think they're they I think they got a big boost from that this summer. Yeah. But you know, does that last? I mean, is this a you, that that's a big question for them? You know, traditionally SAS is really their you know the majority of their capacity is in short haul because I mean, let's face it, 
they have three sort of undersized hubs. I mean, Copenhagen, Oslo, uh, you know, Stockholm, even, you know, they've, they've played around Helsinki. I mean, these are hubs that can't really support that much, you know, intercontinental traffic. So ultimately at the end of the day, they really need to learn how to make money from Surehall. And traditionally, you know, it's, uh, I mean, that's, you know, one of the reasons why they're, they've, they've struggled for, for more than a decade now. It's one of the reasons is because short is so difficult when you're competing with Norwegian and Ryanair, et cetera, EasyJet and right. so on. Uh, you know, how much has that situation really changed? Maybe it has. I mean, maybe some of the things they're doing in bankruptcy is going to allow them to be more cost competitive with the LCCs. Uh, you know, I think a big question in the past, they've sort of held their own in the corporate slash business market um, because they offer things like, you know, their Euro bonus program and lounges, et cetera. But is I want to point still, out Norwegian yeah. Rewards is yes. becoming a much more attractive option. Yes, correct, Euro correct. bonus has Star Alliance, so you get that global network, but Norwegian Rewards, they just relaunched the program. There's new tiers that are, Gear Carlson has said, is targeting corporate travelers. They have a new partnership with uh, Strawberry, which is a hotel group in Scandinavia. They're, you know, and they're working with, they've just signed up a new credit card deal with the Scandinavian bank. So Norwegian Rewards is is doing a lot to grow and and be attractive to those customers. So I, would, yep. I, I wouldn't say Eurobonus is, you know, Eurobonus watch out is what I would say. Well, I was going to say, right? I mean, yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say that Norwegian is uh, kind of muscling in on some of the areas where SAS was traditionally had, you know, where they traditionally had a competitive advantage, like the loyalty program, the region investing a lot of that. Also with Weedero, you know, they're going to these regional markets where they used to, you know, be absent. And Weedero has a lot of corporate contracts with, you know, the Norwegian Defense Department, or I'm just making that up, but they, uh, you know, so so they're they're kind of encroaching on SAS's, uh, you know, where we're, they're their bread and butter area. So it's, yeah, it's not going to be easy for SAS, but uh, but yeah, well, you know, they're certainly taking strides uh, to make themselves more competitive in bankruptcy. Absolutely, no doubt. And we'll, we'll mm-hmm. I mean, we'll be watching. We're always here for a good comeback story, but it's uh, you know, yeah. just saying, SAS has plenty of challenges ahead of it, even as it works to come out of bankruptcy. And I'm trying. Ah, here it is. I was just looking. Um, the number. So Norwegian, actually, speaking of their low, their short haul operations, I believe they're operating more short haul aircraft today than they were in 2019. I can't find the exact number here, but um, they're up to about 80 aircraft this summer. They're going to go up to 90 next summer, and uh, you know they're growing. You know, they they shed their long haul, and they're definitely doubling down on this, that short haul flying. Yeah, and they also mentioned interestingly in their call that they uh, they're very interested in the uh, the the seven three seven Max ten now. At first, they were concerned that it didn't have the range to do markets like Oslo to the Canary Islands. That's that's rather rather longish stage length. But Boeing came back to them and said, no, 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 we can you know we'll we'll make sure that this this plane will be able to handle that. So that I mean that would be a great. That's the two hundred twenty five people in Norwegian's configuration awesome, you know, unit cost, pro- cost profile for that. So that could be a really good aircraft for them. The only final thing, I know we've kind of beaten this horse to death here, but there's only so much you can talk about the Nordics without putting people to sleep. But the um, the only other thing that I think is important to the story that we haven't mentioned yet is that some of the Nordic currencies have been very weak. And that's been, that's been a big challenge for both SAS and Norwegian. Because suddenly that increased your, you know, anything you're buying in U.S. dollars becomes more expensive. 
So the first yes. thing you think about is fuel, but also aircraft and, you know, makes you perhaps, you know, doesn't really affect labor so much, but in other costs, it's that that's, that's been an issue. And, and both, both companies, you know, they, they talked about it. They, they mentioned it in their calls. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll be watching closely with that, Jay. I think we're going to bring this, this episode of the airline weekly lounge to a wrap uh, listeners. If you want to reach us, you can reach me at er at skip.com. You can reach Jay at js at skip.com. Jay, it's always a pleasure. Likewise, Ned. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week.